Would you kill a man walking along the street? To any reasonable person, the answer should be no, and rightfully so. We have all agreed that such an action would be horribly reprehensible. However, where the response may have been a resounding no at first glance, as I add context, people's hearts may shift. What if this man happened to be a thief? Still, many would say no. What about a violent bank robber who had just assaulted people? Less easy, but still, people remain firm in their agreement that murder is wrong. But what if I were to tell you that this man was not just a robber, but a murderer with a reputation for killings? Worse yet, what if you had just witnessed him kill someone? At this point, those in favor of murder have grown substantially, and those again stand there uneasily. After all, in the United States, a poll administered by Pew Research in June of 2021 found that an astounding 64% of respondents stated they felt the death penalty for murderers was morally justified. This comes despite the fact that 63% of respondents don't believe the death penalty deters people from committing serious crimes. And perhaps more surprisingly, 78% of respondents stated that they believe there to be some risk of innocent people being put to death. The nature and morality of the death penalty is a nuanced discussion within itself. But one thing is clear. Americans, and humans as a whole, hold inconsistent beliefs that murder is both inherently evil and that certain people deserve to be killed. Take the man we discussed previously. Should I tell you that there may be a chance that murderer will kill someone again, maybe even yourself if you don't kill him? Well, now things have become recontextualized, and even the most adamant amongst us have trouble arguing against action. There is a clear reaction. As the misdeeds of an individual grow, the pain we feel they deserve, or should be allowed to be inflicted upon them, grows as well. Cognitive dissonance is broadly defined as the process of ignoring new information or knowledge for the sake of maintaining a previously held belief, or as the state of maintaining two internally inconsistent beliefs simultaneously. For the sake of this video, it is the second definition that I am using. It's important to note that, as crude as my opening question may have been, I have no intention or desire to advocate for more murder in any sense. Throughout this video, I am only going to present what is referred to as the trolley problem, and allow you as the consumer to reach your own conclusions about the problem itself and the nature of killing. This video is a dissection of the human nature to perform cognitive dissonance when faced with difficult questions. There are of course many different interactions and interpretations of the problem itself. Each plays around with either ethical codes or those involved. The presenter may assert that you are a doctor or that it is one of your friends on the track. But for simplicity's sake, let's just focus on the original question and its most common iteration. In her 1967 paper, Philippa Foote presented what is seen as the original and most common example of the problem in her paper entitled, The Problem of Abortion and the Doctrine of the Double Effect. She presents the problem as imagining oneself as the driver of a runaway tram, or as we will refer to it, the driver of a runaway trolley. 
The trolley is unstoppable for one reason or another, and on its current trajectory will run over five men. However, the driver has the ability to switch to one other track, where a singular man is working. It is then asked if one would switch the track. A secondary version of this problem was proposed by one Judith L. Thompson nine years later in her paper, Killing, Letting Die, and the Trolley Problem. It places the perspective onto that of a passerby named George, who is witnessing the previously described events play out in real time. However, there is a catch. There is no secondary track for the trolley to switch to. Should George not interfere, those five men will surely die. However, should he push the man standing next to him, who is of considerable weight, onto the track, the trolley will be halted and those five men's lives saved at the cost of the larger man's own life. The core predicament presented by the trolley problem is this. Does interaction equate to action itself? Or to put it another way, are we responsible for our actions when those actions are driven not by internal desire, but by an external force? And both of the proposed examples, the one with agency, George or the driver, should they choose to pull the lever or push the man, would be committing murder. In George's case, this is very clear. He is pushing a man into the way of a moving vehicle. However, in the driver's case, the problem's true nature can be masked away. He is not directly acting on the lone worker, but his actions will lead to the worker's death, a death that would not have otherwise occurred. He is a level removed from the act of murder, as he is only switching the tracks, but it is irreconcilable that just as George could push a man to his death, the driver can switch the tracks, causing an innocent life to be lost. In both cases, their actions would be murder. The end result of this thought process, in my eyes, should be that morality is tied directly to social and personal utility, and not some outside force. That we can argue certain actions are immoral, even to a universal standard, all we want, and that universal principle of immorality is still dependent on the environment the principles exist in. In the trolley problem, you cannot choose to not commit murder. Even by allowing the trolley to continue and kill the five men, you are allowing the death of others when you have the agency to stop this. You have, in essence, allowed for the death of those individuals. The question is not one of murder or not. It is of action versus inaction. As previously stated, I may have my answer to the problem, but I don't intend to say what the right answer may be, because to me that's not the best use of the problem. The goal shouldn't be to find the best of two horrible options within a fictitious world. Rather, it should be to take a step back and realize that no matter which option is chosen, in either example, we have made a decision that led to the death of people. We have committed murder. To enter the problem with the idea of preventing murder is a faulty premise. Whether you choose damage control or removal of personal involvement, people die. And I would say you have committed murder. There are no universal standards to dictate what is right and what is wrong. It all comes down to social and personal utility. To really drive the point home, I would give one final example. There is, as a general rule, a consensus that as a society and species, 
we have an obligation to help those suffering. How we go about this is a point of much contention, but I would posit that a solid majority of people agree with that basic principle. I myself hold it to be true, but even so, I don't do everything in my power to help those less fortunate. Even those who choose careers in industries which benefit and support the general populace still, with rare exceptions, take a salary, buy environmentally damaging products, don't spend their free time volunteering. The list goes on. We as humans perform cognitive dissonance every day. We may hold theoretical moral concepts to be true, but we don't always act on them, whilst at the same time considering ourselves, in large part, moral. This doesn't make us bad or immoral per se. It just means that we have, at surface level, internal inconsistencies in our morality. Upon closer inspection, we find that even this isn't true, because morality isn't a game of who can have the best ideals. It's pragmatic, and just like the trolley problem, there isn't always a clean or clear answer. I wrote this shorter episode for three key reasons. First, I wanted to shed some light on the trolley problem itself. I've personally seen in the research for this episode some beautiful and explanatory videos which detail the intricacies of the problem, and I will link some below should I remember. However, although they do provide an excellent and intriguing explanation of the conundrum, they tend to focus on the problem itself rather than exploring the deeper questions of death, killing, and the inherent social utility of morality. This brings me to the second reason for making this episode. It serves as a good prelude to the first chapter of Society of Reason, where I expect to explore many of the same themes, albeit in more depth. The ideas of morality's origin are, after all, directly tied to people's perception of right and wrong, or rather, people's perception of right and wrong has evolved over time to act as an internal compass for morality. However, this causes certain perplexing but interesting internal inconsistencies to arise, differences in our eternal compasses and the nature of reality. To me, the trolley problem beautifully exemplifies this, and it is so important to me to properly explain the paradox of sorts before diving into morality's true nature. My final reason for making this episode of the podcast was to experiment, once again, with formatting. I hope to test out some new means of podcast production, hopefully having a method that is both easily reproducible and less reliant on long and extravagant scripts. I'm hoping to have the Society of Reason series act as the longer scripted format for this channel, as I previously mentioned, replacing the scripted form of a unionist guide. However, I also plan to have a less scripted or shorter format presentation. And that is going to serve as the revamped Unionist Guide series, episodes doing a deep dive into topics such as the trolley problem. Additionally, I have plans for continuation of the regular conversational and non-presentational format for the podcast. I hope this episode has served as a helpful guide to the trolley problem and cognitive dissidence. This has been Andrew Gould, signing off.